everybody. Oh, welcome. Welcome to another special episode Woo! of March Madness Television. Hey, it's a Media Boat podcast in our special March Madness production. If you're a long-time listener, you'll know that we do this every year this year. Our special March Madness bracket, because it's bracket season and there's brackets for everything. Uh, bracketology is uh-huh. in full swing, especially since March Madness actual brackets are yes. in full swing and being busted as we speak. Being busted. Uh, but yeah, um, this year we're doing television, the best television series of the 2010s. This is the third episode of our series so far. We've separated television series, because there's a lot of them in case you didn't know, into four basic categories, network TV, basic cable, premium cable, and streaming. And we've already recorded episodes that are already up on the website for you for network and for basic cable. So today we are bringing you premium cable. So Yes, this is the top shelf quality tier here. Sure. You have to special order this uh, from your <laughs> local bartender. Because you have to ask for it specifically. Yeah, Because they they'll just give you regular. We're not talking about your Wells yeah, TV no. here. Exactly. No, th- no, this is premium. You have to. The, you, this is where you have to pony up an additional ten to fifteen dollars a month to get this stuff. This is for the people who really want it, or it's for the people who are borrowing their parents' accounts. Either way, <laughs> um, however, you got to watch shows on. HBO, Showtime, Stars, any of the other equivalent ones, Cinemax, they're still around, right? Yeah, they did Strike Force on it. Um, even ESPN, we're counting here. Um, any extra packages, that's where this television happened. And man, was it a good year, uh, bunch of years for HBO and the like. Oh, yes. I mean, you could say this was a golden age of TV for you them. Could say that. Some people do say that. I mean, some people do. We certainly do, but some <laughs> people do as well. Yes, also. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this is where you see the budgets go up a little bit from the shows we talked about last time with basic cable. And though this is also where you get kind of like a different kind of audience. This is where your more affluent viewers are because it does cost a certain amount of money on the ground floor to get into these shows. That being said, once they arrive in other places, like on DVD or Blu-ray sales, like in um, streaming services, they do have like sometimes have a second life. But a couple of these shows are unique in just the way that they affected the zeitgeist, even though they were behind a paywall. But we'll get to those a little later. I mean, ice wall, paywall, same, same difference. Same deal. Same deal. Anyway, yes, that that show will be brought up and will be talked about here. Of course, we can't go on without it but basically our structure here is we're going to do the same thing we've done for the last two categories we're going to go show by show in a short list that we've made of the ones we think that matter to talk about be talked about here and then narrow it down to just four choices to move on to the next round and duke it out with the other categories yep and so with that being said i'm mike he's matt Matt. it's true we are being a podcast and shall we begin as we have done with these Last two with a yeah. comedy show. Yes, why a, not? A comedy show that I'd say kind of defined a decade or so. Okay. Uh, from HBO and Lena Dunham. Okay. Girls. Do, do, is do, it do, a comedy do, do, do. show? All I talk about is girls. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I All I want to watch that... is girls. Do, 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 yes. Do, do. Uh... <laughs> 
The first question here is, is this a comedy? Or is it just a sad, sad <laughs> life of someone, of some 20-something? Oh, man. So, girls, is, there's a lot to talk about here. But the first and foremost thing I think we should address from the top is that when people think about girls, they think about two things. One, the show was probably maybe shouldn't have gone on as long as it did. And the second thing is, man, is Lena Dunham divisive. <laughs> Oh, see, I would have gone with, damn, why is Adam Driver here? He's too good for this show. <laughs> hey, and here we are in 2020, and Adam Driver man matters more now than ever before. Yes. But before uh, he was in Star Wars, uh, he was in Girls. And yeah, when Girls started, it was like the hot button uh, HBO show. It was like, we're going to put on like a show with this up-and-comer in indie film, Lena Dunham, who had made a, a film called Tiny Furniture mm-hmm. before this, Judd Apatow was interested in her talent and basically pitched this series to HBO uh, that he would produce. Uh, and she would write, create, and stuff. And yeah, sure enough, that became Girls. Um, we watched the show. We watched the entire run of the show. Yes, we watched this uh, semi-religiously every Sunday. Yeah, like, sure. That's one way of putting it. And at some point, I felt like I was watching it just to finish it. Uh, towards the end of the seasons, yes, yeah. it definitely did feel that way. And I think that while there was a lot, I think early on especially, to like about this show, it was a realistic interpretation of life in New York as a 20-something. Uh, definitely um, had a lot of content about um, the realities of that situation, whether it be being able to afford to live in the city, what kind of jobs... Like, the idea of not knowing what you want to do professionally, the idea of being in and out of relationships in the city, um, your friendships and how they oscillate, trying to wrestle with friendships you had before, like from high school and moving into adulthood with those friendships. All of this was brought up and dealt with in, um, in a careful, managed way on this show. That being said... Um, it also has the downside of being from a very specific perspective, a.k.a. being the perspective of a, um, a, a privileged white person living in New York. And so, whereas it has a lot of real, real, sto- real feeling stories being told here, it does not represent a lot of people's lives in the same man- manner. Right, so there but- isn't a whole lot of minorities on the show. And in fact, when they do introduce minority, speaking of Donald Glover, mm-hmm. um, he's portrayed in not a great light, and it's like not a super wonderful character. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely a show with its issues. Yeah, but then again, so is the show that this is basically riffing off of, <laughs> Sex in the City. So yeah, there's a little bit of Sex in the City just by by just by a proxy because it is about females in living New in New York, York City, but. It moves that age down a few years. Yes. And so you don't have the story about being, you know, in your late affluent 20s slash early 30s. This one's more about college age. This is more about being still, or recent college rad age, being like just fresh in the city and like trying to make ends meet. When you're done with the education part of your life and trying to figure out a career, trying to figure out a life beyond that. Right, when you step out of the classroom and into the real world. And again, I think that it was at its best, the series was at its best when it dealt with those problems in a realistic manner 
in a funny manner, manner because it does have, does have its funny moments. It's not 100% drama. It was also notable at the time for being extremely progressive with its sexual sexuality and its scenes of sex. Lots of nakedness. Lots of nakedness from all sorts of body types. Uh, lots of um, scenes where it was not necessarily a flattering depiction of sex. It made a lot of headlines early on because it had these couples basically um, who were maybe not digging it as much and maybe it was complicated and maybe these uh, sex scenes were sloppy and messy and maybe not the you know clean you know idealized sex that we see in a lot of television and film but that's also what it's trying to represent of right. a more realistic portion where it's not all Hollywood glitz and glamour it is sometimes yeah. rough and so I think that if if Judd Apatow saw anything in the potential of the show, I think that is definitely an element that wasn't being done, that was fresh, that was a new take on um, something, and something you could only do in premium television. You can't have these scenes like this in any of the categories we talked about so far. Premium uh, TV, premium cable, and streaming are unique in the way that they can depict things like this. And so, yeah, it makes girls this unique animal that can only really exist on something like HBO. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was early enough in the 2010s where I hadn't really that hadn't become the norm yet. Now you have like the Netflix shows like you know like um, Glow that have sex scenes like this all the time because they were allowed to now because girls made it happen. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a complicated show with a lot of baggage. I think now. I mean, Lena Dunham's kind of mostly disappeared into uh, obscurity after having some. Real questionable takes in the mid two thousands to uh, to the uh, mid twenty tens, where now it's like people just don't really care about her as they did. Yeah, I mean she had her fifteen minutes of fame. She, she did. I mean, and, well, her six seasons of fame. Six seasons say. of fame. And so yeah, it's like it's 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 rough because yeah, you just don't. She doesn't quite have the limelight that she did because she really made some poor decisions uh, with her uh, with her public persona. I think. Yeah. But, but we don't necessarily have to behold her no. to what the show is. And yeah, and as you mentioned, it is, it is worth the conversation to have here about the other people who aren't Lena Dunham in the show, notably Adam Driver, mm-hmm. who a lot of people, this was their first exposure to him. And it kind of led to the path that he would take to become an indie film darling, and now to a huge mainstream blockbuster darling uh, being in the Star Wars films. But also to an Academy darling with yes. uh, Marriage Story. Which is now his year. most recent um, adventure, is now to get be in the Oscar shuffle yeah. um, year after year. Yeah, so, and this was kind of his his uh, leap into that yeah. world. Uh, it, it was. And yeah, yeah and looking back, works. he was probably the best part of the show. His character, not wonderful, but his acting was consistently great. Mm-hmm. So, he yeah. was also, he was always... Like he was always referred to as, oh, that guy in Girls. Right. But yeah. he became, like, from it, such an interesting character that they had to keep bringing him back on to eventually right. have him be a regular. Yeah. And I will say, it does a, it did a fairly good job of ending itself. The finale was pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is because the show itself, at some point, realized that Lena Dunham's character was kind of terrible. And the other characters were able to kind of step into that spotlight for a little bit. Well, I also think, like, the audience and, the and by extension, the other characters kept pointing out how terrible right. decisions they were. 
There's that, a parallel yeah. in a way, actually, to the way that girls kind of proceeded to the way that Bojack Horseman does, but we'll talk about that in, the, in a little in the next episode. But there is definitely the same kind of approach where the rest, when the rest of your, it's kind of the anti Rick and Morty, right? When mm-hmm. the rest of your uh, characters are telling the one lead character that they need to change, and they finally do. It's really cool, and it's a cool television moment, and it's a great like way to use that platform. And yeah, I don't know. They they did dwell like they did talk about a lot of real interesting things on the show, but overall, this does. I can't imagine this holds up. I imagine this is a very hard show to watch now, uh, and I don't think that history will be kind to girls or Lena Dunham. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so either. Yeah. But it is interesting. Interesting point to start off with, for sure. Right. Uh, another interesting point is that this was an all-female cast. Yeah. On well, HBO mostly, Australia. not all-female, but it was focused on females. Focused characters. on females. Uh, which brings me to the next show uh, from, I want to say, is the queen of TV. Because she's been nominated in every decade she's yeah. been an actor in yeah. of Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yes. And I'm talking about Veep. Yeah, when you think of comedy juggernauts... Of this time, Veep is up there. You know, it pulled a uh, the the comedy Emmy like what two or three years in a row. Right, but that's only because when it lost, it lost to Big Bang Theory. <laughs> right, yeah, um, and yeah, like it definitely. If you're thinking about HBO's uh, take in the comedy world, yeah, this is definitely the comedy you think of. Mm-hmm. And it was also another show that was crazy prescient when you think about it when it debuted a show about somebody who really shouldn't be in politics being in a leadership role in the white house and yeah soon enough the show became real before we knew it uh because yeah you do have the narrative of of this this woman who is just off the off the wall in so many ways, just like completely like inappropriate in so just many ways. Tries to play herself. the game, yeah, and continuously fumbles her way into her yeah. own stances on stuff. And at first, is thankfully not the person in charge, but is kind of like a backup. But at some point in the series, suddenly becomes in charge of literally everything. Right, and this show has a lot of fun, kind of dealing with what that would be like. Which I think it had to because yeah. as the natural progressions and stuff, you could only right. be... You can only be bigger. Be bigger. You can only go bigger. Right. Which, of course, the show kind of hit a big wall when real life caught up and you have the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. And I remember the Emmys that year. I remember when they were... Uh, uh, the creative uh, crew was accepting the Emmy for com- like best comedy. And I remember the speech was pretty much like, we're struggling right now because we can't write things that are crazier than real news stories. <laughs> like, they got to the point where the news was more ludicrous than the scripts they were writing for Veep. Which is insane. I know. When you think about it. I mean, we'll talk about another show that hit that exact same wall later in streaming. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's an interesting one to talk about. Maybe it doesn't have, like, the, quote, in, um, importance, unquote, now as it did. But yeah, it was a juggernaut. And it was the show to beat uh, for, for comedy for a few years there. For right. Sure. But I also think that this kind of... Um, solidified Julie Dreyfus yes. as a acting divorce. Yeah, I think um, it was with interesting. Seinfeld and then Adventures of Christie. Yeah, it gave her a second decade. And then this. Yeah, it Me. gave her, a, well, I guess, like you said, a third decade. Third decade. Think about it. Um, where she was able to, like, have continue a career in comedy that is unparalleled when you're thinking about a lot of a lot of people 
in kind of her same, like, you could say TV graduating class of the 90s. It was that. Like, it's cool to see her stick around. It's cool to see her continuing to be just as good as she always has been. Well, I think if she continues on the path, she's basically on that big white path. Oh, yeah, easily. Easily. She's going to be... She's just going to keep going. Yeah. She's never going to stop, which is great, because she's great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, important, but, um, yeah, I don't know if necessarily it will hang with some of the bigger fish later. I don't know. I think it does have the pre- the award prestige. It does, for sure. Uh, but we'll keep it around for now. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. All right, uh, let's go to something that's not on HBO real quick. Okay. But it's definitely your dad's favorite show. <laughs> Everybody's dad's favorite show. Everyone's dad's favorite show, Ray Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say Ray Donovan. I have no idea what the hell this show is, but man, it lasted forever. And like you said, everybody's dad apparently was watching Ray Donovan. From 2013 to 2020, Ray Donovan is just your dad. All your dad could talk about. Ask anybody's dad. Uh, starring Leia Shriver. Yeah. yeah. As a, ultimate dad. As a Hollywood fixer. Yeah, okay. And um, basically, as he tries to reconcile not only his personal family but his relationship with his dad and his brother <laughs> but also deal with other people's shit in Hollywood yeah. and try and keep all of their bad deeds out of the limelight. I mean it's cool that Lev Schreiber had such a cool vehicle for him for the <laughs> old decade and like had something to like you know pay bills and like <laughs> yeah he stuck like stuck in the public eye for that because there was a period of time where he was only doing movies. And this yeah. is cool that he had something like this. And this was Showtime, right? Yes, this is a Showtime show. So yeah, this was also a really solid hit for Showtime that just kept going and people kept watching. And yeah, it and lasted long enough to, to, for, for them. Yeah, but it did also continue to get nominations for Leah Schreiber. Yeah, yes. Uh, for acting in a drama. He's a good actor. I yeah. think that helps when you have like a vehicle like this. I mean, it helps when you are the star of the thing keeping up the show. Yeah. That people are tuning in to watch it because of you. But honestly, it's not a home run. It's more of like a base hit. And like if we're going to look forward in the future, I don't know if this will be high on people's lists of, like, of anybody's decade or all-time lists of anything. So I don't know if it sticks around here. I don't know if it sticks around, but I think but it's, interesting. it's fun to bring up. <laughs> yeah, it is fun to bring up. Just saying right on of it just is funny to me. I don't know well, yeah, because like, all the ads running for were just... Ray Donovan. Yeah, it didn't say Picture what it was. Driver. Yeah. Ray Donovan. It's almost like they couldn't show you any footage from the actual show because it was like too violent or something. Right. And so all they can show you is Lev Shriver and Ray Donovan. The Lev Shriver is, is Ray, Ray Donovan. Donovan. And you just have to tune in to find out what it is. Yeah, I don't know. Ask your dad. <laughs> I know, because my dad watched it. And uh, my dad didn't, but, but my girlfriend's dad did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone's dad watches right now. Everyone's anyway. Dad watches it. Uh, anyways, uh, on. moving on, uh, let's knock out these other two that we yeah. have down for Showtime since we're brought on that up. Showtime. Oh, Showtime. Uh, actually, there's three. Okay. Four. Wow, right. four. Um, let's, let's knock two of these out real quick Californication okay. and Dexter. Uh, yeah, so um, Californication is an interesting one here because I feel like this one also lasted way longer than people like even paid attention to it. 2007 to 2014. Yeah, and then also David Duchovny, like, coming off of people only really knowing him for the X-Files. Mm-hmm. Like, this was a cool way of keeping him, like, around in the conversation. And also apparently weirdly reflective of his real life. 
Like, I was reading some stuff about, like, how the character on the show is a sex addict, and also, he's also kind of weird and into weird, some weird stuff. Hmm. Um, so, life imitates art, I, yeah. or vice versa. Uh, but yeah, uh, from what I've heard from people that I know personally who have watched some of this show, is that it's real good. Yeah. And that, however, also, the enjoyment for, is 100% based on how much you can deal with weird addict David Duchovny. <laughs> Where it's just constantly things yeah, just happening. Constantly doing bad things. Yeah, making the bad choices, make, right. being the bad father, and then still get not not having that come up and come up yet yeah. until you know later in the seasons. But from what I understand, is this was a really good hit for Showtime that had a, a second life in um, streaming mm-hmm. and uh, DVD sales. That, yeah. like it has a real strong fan base associated with it. Yeah. And also, I mean, you can say the same thing about Dexter. Yeah, except. Slightly different. Yeah. Because I feel like Dexter was, at a moment, white hot in a way that um, Californication and uh, Ray Donovan really weren't. Right. I it mean, was the show for a little bit of time. I mean, if you want to talk about the the pre the prequel to the antihero that was the 2010s, yes. Yes. Dexter is basically where you start at. You could say it's your quintessential antihero show. Like, However... You can't get more antihero than a literal serial killer. Right. Like, you can't. Like, right. that's about as bad a person that you can get. But <laughs> as we're talking about it, I mean, its main... I mean, its main pull was in the late 2000s, 2010. Yeah. Right. But because past by the that, time you get there into the 2010s is when a lot of people say that show dropped off yeah. in a major way. And I'm not talking about dropped off like we're going to talk about with Game of Thrones later. I'm talking about, like, apparently jumped off a cliff, dropped off. Yeah. From what I hear is that the later seasons of Dexter are awful television. Oh, they are. Just straight up bad. Oh, they are. And, like, yeah. And so, like, to have a show that was once super beloved just fall that far is real rough. Basically, the writers took, I mean... They, they went for the shock value. Yeah. But didn't realize, oh, wait, now we have to write with this there. around this now. Yeah. It's like we have to write this, rest the show. And yeah, like, I think that's rough. I mean, yeah, it's a rough hand to be dealt for sure. It's like, it's hard to be, like, dealt with a show that's literally about a serial killer. Uh, but but at the same time, though, like, yeah, very few of the shows we're going to talk about will have such a, such a deep decline as this one does. Yeah. I mean, it... We're not naming any of these to the list. <laughs> no. But. It's interesting to consider it because of it's how, how big it was at its peak. But yeah, was that peak in the 2010s? Probably not. No, I think if we're talking about 2000s, probably. Maybe, yeah. If we were doing this in 2010 and like the later seasons hadn't happened yet. And I think you could say this is also a parallel narrative for Showtime as a whole because Showtime, for a moment, did, with when Dexter was big. Showtime mattered, and mm-hmm. as you kind of go into the 2010s, they really only had those safe cult hits like Ray Donovan and didn't really have the huge HBO-level hits at that point. Well, because they were never going for that. They, were, they yeah. became television or movie actor-driven vehicles for TV. Right. They and found a niche in getting an older star that wasn't anything and making a vehicle I mean, around them. We even see that now with Kevin Bacon and yes. City on a Hill. Exactly. They're still doing it because they figured out it works. Yeah. They have a... Enough people will tune in to watch it. Again, it's a base hit strategy instead of a home run strategy. They Mm -hmm. know that they're not going to get the budget nor the the talent for something like HBO has been able to pull off. So they're able to work with what they can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it works for them. It works. Yeah. 
but a show that did work did happen between 2011 and 2020. Okay. And I think has the possibility to move on. Okay. Is Homeland. Yeah. everyone was talking about Homeland. Homeland was like the cable versions of the American, or yeah. the premium cable of the Americans, where I feel like it's the same kind of like low rumble kind of, mm-hmm. like where you hear about it every once in a while. It gets just enough critical acclaim where you're just like, well, apparently this is good. And you're always hearing from somebody like your cousin or something being like, oh, you should watch Homeland. It's pretty good. Oh, I heard from Mandy <laughs> Patinkin. Yeah, <laughs> told you personally. Yeah. Yes. Also, yeah, I gave something for Mandy Patinkin to do for a decade, which was pretty great. Uh, but yeah, it's, it was definitely there. It showed up in the Emmy season routinely every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was definitely a solid, a solid thing for Showtime. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, like you said, awards just after awards, constantly for writing. Except for if you ask me a single thing about what actually it, it's about, I can't tell you a single thing. I could tell you a little bit about it. I don't know nothing about what Homeland is. It's about a, a Homeland agent. Okay, Homeland who, Security agent? Yeah, Homeland Security okay. agent who is on the trail of a potential domestic terrorist um. of a former army sergeant okay. who converted religion and could possibly be a uh, domestic terrorist and she's trying to stop that. Got it. And the entire series is about that? Yes. That seems like that would have been solved in the season, but... Oh, yes, that's solved. <laughs> but then, you know, a uh, new threat arises. Something keeps coming up. Yes. Yeah. I it's kind of like Quantico was. Okay. Except... But not on, as stupid. Not as stupid, yes. <laughs> not as like, what the hell are we doing with this show? Not, 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 uh, not as much as... Oh, hot models playing right. FBI agents. Like, how do we do this but a CW show, which is what they tried to do with Quantico? Kind of. Um, yeah. Um, I did not understand that, the appeal of that show at all. Anyway, but yeah, Homeland, like, I think, Nick yeah, Jonas did. Homeland must have, like, the formula for Homeland must have been consistent and worked. Because, yeah, it lasted a while. And, yeah, it definitely has its fans. Yeah. And I think it ran into the same problems that Veep had, where life came too crazy for it to write its own thing. Yeah. Uh, that is very unfortunate and, oh no, in the same token, very scary. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that these off-the-wall ideas basically are being trumped by what is literally going on. <laughs> good, good word choice there. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 definitely a, yeah, it's definitely one of those shows that lasted long enough to be like repeat the headlines. Uh, but yeah, it, I don't know whether or not it technically hangs here. Maybe of the Showtime stuff it does. So you might circle back to it eventually, but like, well, I don't see, know. Well, see, in between it, that and Shameless being... Yeah, Shameless is your other, yeah. Cause that, William H. Macy vehicle. Right, because that one is still going on. That is, 2011 yeah, to now. Trucking. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't. I literally have nothing to say about that one. I feel like that is just William H Macy. It's in the uh, Californication bucket where it's like, oh, this person that people can recognize has had a really right. steady, popular show for the last ten years. That I have no real clue about what actually happens on it. I mean, I could say the same thing about Weeds. That also happened. <laughs> oh yeah, Weeds. Well, that was a two thousands show. Was that a two thousands? Yeah, that was not. That uh-huh. I don't think counts here. Okay. But anyways, it's the exact same thing though, where. Yeah. It's on, we know about it, but we don't necessarily watch it, so we don't have much yeah, to say about it. Yeah, there's not a whole lot to say. Other than we know when it gets the awards because yeah. we watch the award show. So yeah, if there was going to be a Showtime show, I think it's Homeland, just okay. because of the critical acclaim. Okay. But like I said, it might not even hang once we get done with the HBO and everything else, so right. let's move on. Well, 
You want to go through everything else then? I do. Before we circle back to HBO? Uh, no. No. Just do it in the order presented, I suppose. Oh, okay. Order presented then. <laughs> um, Alright, I have Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Alright, now this is an interesting one to talk about. Because when you think about Prestige Cable, you're usually thinking of dramas and miniseries. You're not necessarily thinking of reliable weekly live like to tape Life content story. and in this case this is a rare exception this is a show that takes the late late night format of something like mm-hmm. the daily show and makes it into the version of it you can only have on premium cable right but it also allows you to allows them to deep dive and give you a yeah. deep look on onto something of a yeah Basically, importance it's the in kind, the world. It's the kind of show that I feel like if um, Comedy Central had ten times the budget back in the um, John Stewart days, yeah. this is the kind of show I think he would have made. Probably. A show where he got to really dig into a topic, also do his fun monologue thing, mm-hmm. but then... like, But also have the budget to do ridiculous and stupid things <laughs> just because he can. And yeah. John Oliver does that every single week on the show is he's able to actually talk about stuff that matters in a really well-produced way, get kind of some brief news bits done as well, but then really dedicate to like himself to the bit, where yeah. he always does something absolutely crazy, only because HBO gives him the budget where he can. I mean, and that's one of the things that puts, does put this thing over the top, where yeah. HBO's budget is behind the show 100%. Right. And it wouldn't matter if the writing staff wasn't as good as they are, but we know they are because they just keep winning the Emmy saying that they do, <laughs> yes. that they are that good. They're just able to, they're given the resources to be so much better um, than the late night equivalents on network TV. Uh, and yeah, and like they prove it every single time. Well, I mean, it, it is quite the difference when you are a workhorse and you have to put on a show every single night compared yeah. to once Weekly. a week. Yeah. And yeah, I think and it's also made like a household name out of John Oliver. I mean, you don't have him being a voice in the Lion King remake if you don't have Last Week Tonight. Yeah. Um, you don't also have like like stuff like um, just be, it's such a viral show too. Like a lot of people get their Last Week Tonight content by seeing the replay of the um, segments that he does on YouTube. Right. Yeah. They don't see the model. They just see the yeah. deep dive segment the on YouTube, dive. and those rack up millions of views and i think we would be remiss if we didn't mention that a lot of these have actually made a huge difference the able that that since he's able to really dig deep into these things he often ends his segments with a call to action for his audience Mm -hmm. where he's like no give this person a call go to this website do your research here's twitter handle yeah be part of this movement um yeah do a hashtag that matters like donate to this cause he's very good at giving like a call to action yes. which is you don't see in television which means that he's actually realized that if you have a platform you have to use it for good and he's doing that yeah he's giving voices to what would otherwise be voiceless yeah. and yeah it's quite a show that there's a reason it keeps winning the, the Emmys yeah. every year he's definitely he was he definitely took the torch from Jon Stewart when he quit the daily show because the current Daily Show with Trevor Noah, I think, is a very different animal than I think John Stewart's view for that show was. And I think John Oliver truly understands what John Stewart would have done if he had continued on. And I think mm-hmm. it's more closer to that than, than the Trevor Noah incarnation is. Mm-hmm. So I think this is the current 
one to beat when you're talking about these late night shows, even if he doesn't have the audience or uh, viewership, like the audience that uh, Stephen Colbert has on the, on a, on a weekly basis, on a weekly basis on CBS. Nightly basis, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something of that I think we should definitely keep and move forward with. Yeah. If I was to pick one. Uh, yeah, definitely something to put a bookmark on. And speaking about putting a pin in things, I love or rather, pins and things. pulling a pin in things. Wait, what? Chernobyl. How do you? Are we live for now? Sure. Yes. Okay, yes. Good, sir. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, we are live. Oh, so wait, wait, pulling. Hmm. I mean, you watched this. I didn't. Um, yes. So this is really recent. I mean, talking about something yes. that's only a 2019 show, I, that's also a limited series. I'm right. going to say so, right now, I don't think should count. Okay, so you do not want to talk about um, this? I think it's fair that it did. It had a cultural impact, but this is a limited series. Okay. And we're talking about... We're not talking about a limited series. Here. All right. Well, then let's talk about a show that okay. got a lot of critical acclaim and then we just did not watch at all. Okay. The Leftovers. Yeah, what the hell is The Leftovers? Uh, I think the plot is that like 2% of the world... Gets Leaves ta- their food in the fridge and forgets to eat it. No, like then... gets taken to heaven. Oh, never mind. And oh, then... so it's Left Behind... Left, left, left Below. Be- <laughs> Wait, which one's the real one and which one's the Simpsons one? Left Behind is the real one, right? Yes, Left okay. Below yeah, it's the Simpsons is the Simpsons parody. Uh, yes, and then <laughs> The Leftovers is the HBO, the HBO show. show. Oh, okay, so it's it's a it's a apocalypse. Um, no, it's a rapture show. Rapture show. That's what the word I was looking for. Um, so yeah, I've heard people who like this think it's really great. Yeah, I've heard some really positive things about The Leftovers. I just think that that name is so bad. I mean, it just makes me yeah. think of you went to Chili's and in your in your fridge is just your freaking fajitas. Half a quesadilla, like some cheesy fries. It's your wife went out <laughs> on a Thursday night <laughs> with some of her home. girlfriends. Yeah. And now you're just looking at the fridge at the leftovers. It's like, uh, yeah, like, uh, can I eat this? Whose food is this? <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, the leftovers. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand this is quality. But it doesn't quite, it didn't quite show up as much, I think, um, in a war show season. Um but yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know really much else to say about this. Do you have anything to say about the leftovers? No, I didn't watch it. Yeah, I mean, that's the tricky part about a lot of these shows is that because you have to pay an extra fee to see a lot of this stuff, if you're not Game of Thrones, you get lost in the shuffle a lot of this. Of the, a lot of these. Right, but there are some shows that did get lost in the shuffle, like that aren't Game of Thrones. What? Yeah. Like what? Uh, well, like Silicon Valley. Yeah, so you watched this entire series. Yes, I did. You liked a lot of this. I enjoyed a yeah. lot of this. Yes. Um, so this is definitely when you yeah, like if it's not Veep, when you're thinking HBO comedies, you're thinking about this. It uh, of course Mike Judge, you know, has a series of like successes on TV. Yes. And um, this is probably the more recent, most recent of all of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, he extends all the way back to King of the Hill. And when you're thinking of 2010 shows that hit like a very 2010s kind of zeitgeisty thing, having your show about the tech boom in Silicon Valley is very of its time. All right, I mean, especially like we said on the cusp of streaming and how big the internet got, and the yeah. fact that the internet basically became. In everyone's pockets at that point. So it was smart to have a show that was in conversation with the tech world. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it was referencing very specific things that were happening in real life tech. Whether it was having... 
fake companies stand in for very real companies when needed. Right. And to have like the up and down kind of experience of what a real tech company goes through when they're trying to start a startup in the 2010s. Yeah. And I think that this show basically spawned um, two, three great careers out of it. This is true. Or at least... uh, Gave an extra push. Yeah, an extra push to some talented actors as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess one of them being T.J. Miller, who uh, then eventually... Yeah, would eventually, like, throw that fame in the trash. Yes. Um, but then also Kumail Nanjiani, who yes. is now, like, one of our... Uh, our personal podcast favorites. Yeah, for sure. Like, whenever he pops up in something, he's great. Yes. And, I mean, he also had... Um, uh, know, that... Tom, Thomas Middleditch uh, taking over the Verizon guy. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> happened, didn't it? He's yes. now on every he's also, ad. He's also my agent in NBA. Oh, right. <laughs> he is that. I forgot about that. It was a video game term. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like... Um, the show has some really great moments in it. I think that it uh, has some really solid writing. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it is topical meant that they had enough material to continue making it for longer than they thought. The downside of the show, and something we've talked about a lot on our podcast about the show, is that because you can't have the narrative of a show like this be too where the company is too successful because then you run out of plots. Right. You keep having to pull the rug from out from under them. You keep having to have them run into issues so they're not as successful as they were. Well, no, it's a thing where they have to be new successes, yeah. but it's also a thing throughout the show where they constantly failed upwards. <laughs> yeah. They didn't actually achieve their goal the way they wanted to, but because they are the basically stars of the show, and because you want to see them succeed, they eventually find somehow yeah. to succeed through in-actions and <laughs> side-actions yeah. of the season that they do. It's a difficult balance, and I understand that it's hard to do, but with a show that lasts as long as it did, we were already basically season three being like, maybe they should be done, and then they kept going. You're right. I mean, I enjoyed that they kept going. Yeah. But it is also something that they, they because they were no longer the the small fish in the pond, mm-hmm. that they had to move to the ocean and basically expose the audience to this whole other world of legality that I don't think they wanted to necessarily go to in the yeah. beginning, but were basically, from their trajectory, forced to go to. So yeah, I mean, with that and the fact that it's not necessarily to the heights of some of the other shows we can talk about here, I think that it might not be, it might not hang to the best of the 2010s here, but I definitely think it's probably the most 2010s show it definitely on is. this list. It is so of its time. It could only exist now. It like was the perfect timing for something like this, and I think that's something that Mike Judge is really good at. Is he's able to tap into a a current zeitgeist in a way that a lot of other um, uh, creators can't. He was able to figure out, no, this is the time for a show like this, and he en- and he ended it right when it needed to end too, at the yeah. end of kind of a end of a decade. Yeah, I think he, like the directory it went on and the kind of messages it kind of talked to at the end of its season, especially at the very end about what tech is and how it deals with privacy and. Like the power of technology. Yeah, a lot of that stuff was direct commentary on what was happening in real life. Yeah, and that's something that Mike Judd does well yeah. is direct commentary right. on you know stuff that's ha- currently happening. Yep. 
Yeah, so I think it's... Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily important from a television point of view, but it... But it turns out like being a show of 2010 yeah, that's a capsule thing. Constantly. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think, yeah, like I said, most 2010s, maybe not best 2010s. Right, the most 2010s show. Yeah. So, uh, glad we talked about it, but it probably doesn't hang. Okay, well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if it moves on or not. Uh, I have another show on here. Barry. Barry. Yes. He has my tickets, I understand. Barry has your tickets. Yes, because I think that's who you call. He, he hooks it up. Uh, no, that's who Papadopoulos calls. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't just shout Barry randomly. <laughs> it's a radio thing. Right? I know. I know you don't listen to a lot of radio. But... I know, and that's, uh, <laughs> which is, that is Papadopoulos who does the Barry ads. <laughs> this guy is so annoying. Anyway. Yeah, he just yells Barry in your face. <laughs> Sorry, the show Barry. Yes, uh, the so this is Bill Hader show. Yeah, relative newcomer, uh, comparatively, on, on the, to, to the, some of the other stuff we've been talking about here. Yeah, but it's two seasons, has yeah. racked up significant awards. Yeah, it's definitely got an awards um, uh, push. It's definitely made a, a different kind of vehicle for uh, Bill Hader, uh, because he stars and also writes for this thing. Um, yeah, it's definitely like put on a kind of a dramatic twist onto his career, which had just up to this point been very much uh, comedy roles, mm-hmm. and like it's a different kind of attitude for him. And it's, it's also a different, a different kind of comedy. Yeah, it does have comedic elements, but he's also literally a murderer. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> serial. Uh, no, 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 not, not serial killer. Not, not serial murderer. killer. He's a like, gun for hire, yeah, a mercenary. Sure. Yes, which he murders. Anyway, <laughs> he's an assassin. Yeah. Uh, so it's an interesting kind of conce- high concept kind of show, but yeah, I understand that's really really well done, and that it's continued to be uh, uh, an interesting kind of thing going into the second season. But I don't know much else about it. To be I mean, honest. I watched the entirety of the first season and really enjoyed what it did in terms yeah. of like a character aspect. But that being said, I have yet to watch the second season. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's like that, and then like the fact that it's also very new, it's kind of hard to like reconcile really where it stands among I mean, the yeah, rest. It of only them. has two seasons under right. its belt. It's very recent, um, so it's easy to kind of be like, I don't know whether this thing's gonna last. But uh, it does have the advantage of yeah, of being like, uh, uh, it's yeah, so critically beloved as well as like finding a an audience right now mm-hmm. but I don't know if there's too much else we can talk about um, not for Barry yeah uh, but uh, let's before we talk about the big dragon in the room yeah we'll get there uh, we'll get there because I think you know big asterisks on that thing yes uh, before we get to that uh, let's talk about the last uh, I guess second to last uh, premium channel that we're going to throw into here. Okay. One, let's just quickly mention it, Stars, while it mainly is a movie network okay. that tries to get the TV yeah, stuff first, the one show that yeah. it has um, that is not Black Sails or <laughs> uh, American Gods that people love for some reason, one or another, that is just continues to stand okay. its test of time. Uh, going back to 2014 and even still going on now, of power. Yeah. Um, 50 Cent brings you power. Yes. 
Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this has kind of like been a really big surprise hit, both for Stars and I think for Fifty Cent. Yeah. Out of nowhere, who knew that he had an eye for television? But here we are. Uh, in fact, this is I only think, the beginning of his television. Career. Yeah, I think he saw something that was not necessarily being shown on television. Decided to, hey, yeah, I'm going to do this, and you know. From this, we did eventually get Empire on Fox. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Power being a predominantly black cast and, you know, shown... I don't want to say Power, but... <laughs> shown Power <laughs> through, through it through its uh, episodes. Yeah. That, yeah, it definitely found its audience and definitely found a way to, you know, have significant uh, success. Yeah. Ones. And I would say this is a really cool start to... 50 Cent's uh, second act, but then really when you think about it, it's more like it's third. Because you had his music career. And then, and then he got that, shot. Well, okay. Part <laughs> of that. But no, no, what I'm saying is like the second act was probably when he was like investing in all those companies. He became a businessman. First right. Up. I mean, you have his flavor of vitamin water and everything, all that era of 50 Cent. Yeah. Then I think this is him figuring out like, no, actually, TV works for me too. And so, yeah, he's doing a really good job of like, now he just has, he has another network pilot. That's, I think, debuting this season. And it's like, just, he's found a success. But I also understand, yeah, the show is good. Uh, and it's like, it's had staying power. Uh, <laughs> and Steph's definitely, as you said, it stuck around. I don't know necessarily it's it's if it's powerful enough to hang around beyond this, but I'm glad we talked about it. Right, I mean, are you just saying that because we don't watch it and I mean, because we don't have a lot to it's say? It's that, but also I think just by on, by the, the fact that it is on stars, it's got just less penetration than the rest of the networks That's do. That's Yes. <laughs> yes, penetration. Uh, I, I did hesitate before I said that. Yes. I was like, the best word for this situation. It is. <laughs> uh, as, well, speaking of shows that gave us something out of it, uh-huh. uh, I'm just going to bring briefly, real briefly, okay. bring up the tutors on Showtime. <laughs> Because it did bring us Henry Cavill. I mean, sure, but the but, tutors. All right, yes. <laughs> all right, that's why I bring it up. But uh, the network I want to get to that okay. we briefly hinted at at the beginning of this yes. uh, episode, ESPN. Yes. And the main reason for that is because while, yes, SportsCenter is basically synonymous with ESPN, um, the thing that basically came out in the beginning of this decade. Yes. And... Like John Oliver's, did a lot of deep dives and stuff you didn't necessarily think about, but was constantly there. And that is the ESPN's 30 for 30. Yes, and I'm glad we're talking about this because I think this totally hangs. Yes. Because when you're thinking about documentary television, it's not really that popular of an art these days. And not a lot of documentaries beyond your PBS's, your like public television, um, it's not really that kind of world on television anymore like in the 90s and 2000s you had networks like history channel and discovery channel back actually doing things that were history and science right and back then there were documentaries on tv all the time but espn figured out well people love sports documentaries how do we like make these sports documentaries digestible in a shorter form for television audiences but get, like, these really great directors to help us make them. Well, you let the directors tell their own stories in their own way. Yeah. And you let the story unfold before its audience's eyes. And I think the result is something that's 
immensely watchable and creates these dramas, these narratives that are interesting even if you're not that into the sport. Like, I'm the perfect example of this. I'm not super into stuff like basketball or even football these days. Mm-hmm. But sitting in front of a good 30 to th- thirty for 30 and, like, that tells a story about something that happened in any of those sports, and I will watch that whole thing. I will <laughs> sit there for an hour and just, like, just absorb it because, or however long they are, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, like, about an hour and a half. they're so well produced that they make those stories compelling and they make them human stories which every good documentary does. Uh-huh. And it's also, you know, a testament that this was initially supposed to be a one-shot. A uh-huh. ESPN put money behind these 30 directors to do these 30 documentaries, thus the name 30 for 30. But it worked so well. It worked so well, it won awards yeah. that they decided to bring it back for a second season and, and a third yeah. season. And even to do shorts in between those and as I'm well. I'm so glad that they are still doing it. Because, yeah. like, I think that sports is just... Like, as long as there are sports, there will be stories to be told about. Yes. And as long as there is something like 30 for 30, we're going to be able to see those stories in a well-produced, like, manner. Then we're not going to have to necessarily wait till a big movie version of this story is told. Right. I mean, I've learned a lot of different aspects of stuff from different parts of the world. I mean, they recently just did a documentary uh, called Of of Ice and Men, I believe. I don't think I got that wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was about the 1980s uh, Winter Olympics. Yeah. Except instead of being told from the American side of the Russian, or uh, between the U.S. and Russians, instead of, you know, the American side that were constantly being told. Yeah. It was told from the Russian side. Huh, okay. About how they basically felt going into this thing, how they had all this weight of a country behind them. And then right. when they lost, how that affected them yeah. back home and how they wanted to basically, some of them wanted to leave and come to the U.S. to play in the NHL. Yeah, that stuff is super cool. And I'm glad that these stories are being uh, being told. And then you have the flip side of that. Some of the, my favorite ones are the ones where they're able to look at something totally ludicrous and stupid, like the one about the XFL. And yes. Deep dive into it. The one about the XFL was fascinating. It was so good, and it was because, like, they, they were able to go super deep dive into even something like that. <laughs> something that's, like, so stupid that it didn't even happen. And so, yeah, it's, like, it's just such a good format. It's such a good, uh, like, good quality. They're consistent, and they're fascinating. And, like, yeah, it's, like, set a new bar for, I think, a documentary series, which doesn't really exist outside of it. Yeah, I can't think of another one. No, besides I mean, like PBS's Nova. <laughs> like I can't, I literally can't think of another documentary series. No, but I think that because it is just a different aspect, a different take on something that is become and morphed into this basically consumable product mm-hmm. that even you, a non-sports person, yeah, can enjoy. Or somebody dabbles, you could say. Yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think this hangs because like it's not this is something nobody else is doing. Right. Like straight up. And like I think that more people more networks should consider doing, but I don't know if we'll get there because of just how risk averse networks are. Well, general. also how time consuming it is to yes. create a documentary. And how much research needs to go into it and how yeah, there is a lot to yeah. be done there. But yeah, I think that's yeah, that definitely I'd say hangs. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing from ESPN is the OJ Made America documentary. Yeah, but that's a kind of a limited series. Right, that falls in line with Chernobyl, though. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if that totally is in the conversation here. Okay. So. All right. Well, I think we're done, right? We, we talked about every show? I don't know. Did we? Yeah, I think so. I think we're good. I think we're right? missing one. Or are we? Yeah. So uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we got to talk about it. All right. So, what is hype may never die? <laughs> <laughs> What is Game of Thrones? All right, Game of Thrones. They okay. live in ever in these twenty tens. So if you had told me that Game of Thrones when it premiered would be as big as it had that it eventually became, yeah, I wouldn't believe you. I'd be like, what? It's a fantasy thing. It's based on a bunch of these novels. Who's read these things? Only dorks, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> what high fantasy, well, high fantasy concepts? Dragons. And Yet man was medieval time wrong because if the decade taught us anything is that turns out that high fantasy is way bigger audience than you think it is. <laughs> Apparently everybody can get into a show about dragons and kingdoms and freaking zombies. And just throwing a bunch of boobies everywhere. <laughs> People will be into it. And somehow, yeah, it just tapped into a, something in the audience that I didn't think that was there. It t- like... I didn't know there was such a big audience for fantasy. I mean, yes, movies, Lord of the Rings proved that yeah. back in the 2000s. I mean, it was a huge franchise, and it freaking uh, Return of the King won the Best Picture Oscar in 04. I mean, it's like, one of three films to sweep every award. Like, we've been proven, I guess, that culture has the appetite for it, but not on television, not on a weekly basis, and not on HBO. Yeah. Like, it had everything running against it. It was not a very well-known series when you compare it to something that Tolkien wrote. You also um, have it on a prestige um, channel that a lot of people would have to buy into. But the fact that it was as good as it was propelled it to a conversation on the internet that then propelled everybody else to be like, maybe I should check out this Game of Thrones thing. Hey, Mom, do you have your HBO login? (laughs) And it changed HBO, and it changed how television looks at fantasy. Right. I mean, we've talked about other other shows winning awards. Mm -hmm. I've talked about other shows making household names out of nobody. But Game of Thrones... It it's rose, basically it raised that bar every yeah, single step of the way. It became that bar. HBO's had big successes in the past, mostly in the two thousands with stuff like Sopranos, The Wire, Sex in the City, Sex in the, City. the Wire, um, but, Ballers, but this is, Entourage, no, <laughs> maybe Entourage, but definitely not Ballers. Uh, we didn't even, there's a reason why we haven't even talked about Ballers. Here. Hey, it got its one mentioned here. Yeah, That's all it needs. Mentioned Ballers. <laughs> It's done. We don't talk about ballers or entourage. Anyway, uh, but yeah, like, the, but Game of Thrones is a new level for that. Like, just the amount of discussion around this show at both its peak and at its decline never let down. You had YouTube channels dedicated solely yeah. to Game of Thrones theories and yeah. Game of Thrones behind-the-scenes productions in order to figure out what was going to come next. It was so big that HBO's business strategy was completely written around Game of Thrones. And trust me, this happened more than once. Yes. Remember back in 2015 when HBO finally gave in to pressure and said, we're going to launch HBO now so that people can pay us directly without having a um, cable subscription. Yep. They specifically waited until Game of Thrones was done 
to introduce HBO now to these uh, to their subscribers. Mm-hmm. And it was only for a month, for the month of April, available for people with Apple TVs. Yeah, because they me. knew that that was probably the audience who also cared about game or were cared enough about Game of Thrones that they would apply for HBO now. Right. The rest of everybody had to wait until it was done. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's telling, really, when HBO knows that what their biggest show is, like, if it's big enough to actually affect the decisions that they make. <laughs> and yeah, it's like a super huge hit. It's the reason, the success of Game of Thrones is the reason why Amazon just paid last year millions of dollars to get a Lord of the Rings series on their network. Right, and that was just to get the rights to Lord right. of the Rings. That's not even including the production budget yeah. that is... Currently estimated at close to $1 billion. They're taking a huge risk on this because they want the next Game of Thrones. Right. And it's a thing. When you talk about TV now, you're kind of... When you started started conversations asking, (laughs) is this the next Game of Thrones? You know that 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 show, Game of Thrones, is huge. (laughs) Exactly. When you go to a pitch meeting and say, it's Game of Thrones, (laughs) but but with this... Yeah, it's become like an upper echelon of television history that a lot of shows we've talked about already haven't reached. That being said, we have to talk about its maybe not-so-great parts, which is the fact that... The final season? (laughs) Well, and some would argue... The last three to four seasons, yes. it started so strong that when there was a dip in quality, the fans noticed. And when you have a show as big as this, the talk in, on the internet definitely changed because of it. When you have a show where the author of the books yeah. basically stops writing the books because he's invested in the TV... You're just like, I don't know. It's like, they're just kind of on their own track anymore. I'm just going to take my time writing this book. Well, because I was thinking, though, that he, he had announced the books to come out right. before. Like, he announced his end, his end road before the TV show was even inked. Right. And then, once he saw the success take off, he missed the deadline for the books. He continued to miss the deadline for the yeah. books. And still, to this day, we still do not have those books. <laughs> so, yeah, it's almost like, yeah, it just it did, wasn't a priority for him at that point. Because it had become, it had had its own life as a television show at that point, and has And now will probably go down in the future for being the thing most people engaged with in TV and did not read the books. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I don't know if that's ever going to be course-corrected unless someday, miraculously, he pulls these books out of his ass. I don't know. <laughs> like, who knows, right? Like... Yeah, I don't know if these books will ever be finished, or he'll just be like, here's all three books at once, go go at it. Or something like that. Who knows? And they're all just adaptations of the TV show. Who knows? Like, what's going to happen? how it was actually supposed to end. Yeah. That's the thing. It's a plan the whole time. When the show started, they had a roadmap with these books, and Uh they were supposed to continually have these books, you know, by the time... Yeah. They got they caught up, and so yeah, a lot of people blame that specifically as the reason for the downturn in quality. Is that once they stopped having a baseline to work off of, right. they had to be bigger every season, and they right. had to make big changes. That the seasons basically no longer became an adaptation and tried yeah. to become their own and fell under its own weight. Which is also kind of an interesting like segue to like a thing that I think is actually also influential about Game of Thrones. Is that it's it had a willingness which was pretty rare up to this point 
to completely rewrite the status quo of its characters and of its story on a regular basis. This is a universe in which your favorite character on the show is just as in danger of dying as any other character in the ensemble cast. Right. It created an atmosphere of literally anybody could die, which was unique. And I think now has affected television to the point where if your show doesn't do that, I don't think it's as, like, it will be viewed as lesser. It definitely gave us the phrase, if you think you know what's going to happen, you haven't been paying attention. Right. It's like, I mean, ever since you had that quintessential Red Wedding episode. Yes, I mean, that wedding, I mean, that episode. It set a precedent. Set a precedent. And I think got a lot of people to go back and binge watch everything. It got me to go back and watch everything. And I think it's set like it's set now like that's the bar where like when you have any television show now, if you're not completely wowing your audience every few episodes, then some, you're not up to the standard. Which you know in turn gave us uh, the precedence that this is us is currently setting, right. having it being a emotional gut punch every week. Yeah. And to a lot of people, that probably sounds like, man, that sucks if you're a television writer because that's some possible odds to be up against. And you know what? You're right. It is. But also, I think it's going to make some interesting television, interesting plotting. It's made it where you're not necessarily living in that, oh, everybody's like, they wouldn't write that character off. They're a main character thing that television had for literally 50 like plus years at that point. We've become so comfortable with status quo television about like, oh, that's a lead character. They're, they won't die. Well, that's what <laughs> the first season did. It yeah. had its lead character, the one character mm-hmm. that had a name behind him, Sean Bean on the show. Yeah, die. Die in the first season. <laughs> and, so, and from that point on, it's what people were talking about. It's like, you have yeah. to watch it because you don't know. No one knows what's going to happen. So I think, yeah, I think it's, uh, this This show is interesting to talk about because it's kind of three things, right? It's one, it's super important for how it made, how it changed what prestige TV could do, which is, hey, you could make a fantasy series and it could really take off. You can do things outside the, the outside of the usual worlds of, of, of um, courtroom, of police procedural, of hospital procedural, you know. It was like, no, a fantasy show can be huge and game-changing. That was one thing. Two, there was a conversation about, like, the way that it writes characters and scenarios about this risk, this real feeling of peril and, like, real feeling of, like, changing the status quo that I just talked about. But then the third thing is, of course... How if you're if you're not careful, the quality can really take a dive on something like this if you're not being consistent. Right, and also, as we talked about in the last episode with fan bases. Yeah. This is this did become a rabid fan base, especially. Oh yeah. At the last two seasons, where people saw what they could have done, what they wanted to do, what the fans wanted them to do, and then ultimately go against it to yeah. try and keep that shock value. And the backlash does have some real-life um, uh, consequences for the creators, as we found out after Disney pretty much kicked them off of the project for making a new Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And, like, that wouldn't have happened, I think, if you didn't have such the questionable reaction, I guess you could say, to the series finale. <laughs> like, I think that that deal was inked back when that you know it was hot like white hot and everybody thought like oh this 
love of Game of Thrones will never go away. It and, was well, it was when they had announced uh, the end that they right that they were gonna end it in the in next like season. Ninety minute episodes. It was gonna be yeah, yeah. and then they're like, oh, well, what are you gonna do next? Like, well, we have to. Yeah, and so I think that it's also interesting because. Even though we talk about a decline in quality, and even though we talk about a vocal uh, group on the internet talking about this and kind of poo-pooing it, at the same time, this thing was so big that it was immune to all of it. Yes. It was so immune to all of it that it was still a major event when this finale aired. It was so People still immune. had parties. People still mourned its loss. People still... It still ended up raking in viewership mm-hmm. week after week. And still... Uh, being constantly rumored about whether or not there will be some sort of spinoff. It looks like there's one confirmed. Right. I mean, this is a show that had six spinoffs in development at one <laughs> and point. And only one survived. Well, that's usually the case. But yeah. rarely do you have a show even try for one spinoff, let alone six. Right. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, that's pretty much, I think we've pretty much hit all the points on it. But, like, yeah, it's definitely one of those shows that we're going to be talking about in decades to come. Which is not something that a lot of the shows we talked about so far are going to be in that conversation. This is definitely unique in the impact it made. And the fact that it was on a pay cable network uh-huh. and also pulled that off is crazy. I mean, yeah. I mean, it definitely, in its course of the years, brought even its own lexicon into yeah. everyday usage. I mean, winter is coming has become such a, like, a cliche at this point. Yes. Uh, a Lannister always pays their debts. <laughs> I mean, I even started it with what is hype may never die. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's, it's literally a sticker on my friend's car. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, Still. <laughs> it's in a conversation like shows when everybody was watching TV in the 90s and you just don't get that kind of collective everybody is watching this all at once feeling anymore mm-hmm. and game of thrones to a lot of people is being seen as the death of that but who knows there might be another one uh you know tv is getting slowly moving back towards the weekly model after being a binge model for the last five years yeah and so maybe we'll have that cap we'll have that captured again but with everybody's attention span being pulled so many different directions with the internet and mobile phones and everything, it's going to be very, very hard to capture that Zeitgeist Weekly television moment, that water cooler show, and this might be the last one of those. Well, that's because like with the binge model, it was an infinite uh, moratorium on spoilers. That too. Which, you know, even Game of Thrones kind of coined the water cooler back talk to, yeah. wait, spoiler... Right, but yeah, I mean, spoiler culture is a whole other conversation we do not have the bandwidth for at the moment. But it is, yeah, it's interesting to consider as like we go into this new era where even the streaming networks are catching back on to weekly programming that maybe... Right, I mean, even Disney Plus just did the Mandalorian series on a weekly basis. Maybe it's an effort to get that feeling back, Mm -hmm. even though Game of Thrones is no longer on. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, Do we now need to pick, I guess, four of these? Uh, Yes, we do. All right, what are we down to? Uh, we are down to Game of Thrones. Yes. Veep. Uh-huh. Last Week Tonight. Yeah. Silicon Valley. Uh-huh. Homeland. And uh-huh. 30 for 30. Okay, I like Game of Thrones. Okay. On I, this I figured list, you would. I like 30 for 30 on this list. Okay. I like Last Week Tonight on this list. Okay. Ooh. But the fourth one is going to be hard. Yeah. I feel like Veep is really strong, but... To do three out of four of these for HBO does not seem representative and seems a little unfair. It does. So, I... But, I mean, that'd be... 
yeah, I mean, ESPN, 30 for 30, mm-hmm. uh, takes a slot. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're talking about HBO in the 2010s, the two shows I would put would be Game of Thrones and Veep. Right. That being said, we did watch Last Week Tonight yeah. more than we did Veep. And I mean, when you look at award win- award wins, I think they're pretty even. Yeah. The two of those shows. Well, so. I mean, that's only because Veep kept going up against uh, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, you know, John Oliver yeah. basically had no competition at that point. It's tough because, yeah, I mean, it depends on what kind of conversation you want to have. Is like, is the late night format, like, old enough where maybe Last Week Tonight is not that compelling compared to something like Veep? Like, that's a conversation that could happen. Um Right, and that's a conversation that we've continuously or, had. Or is it, or is that conversation, but the things that last week tonight is good at, like getting that call to action, getting that uh, mobilization for their viewership, more important maybe at the end of the day than something that's just a consistent comedy like Veep? Like, <sighs> I don't know, and so that's why I'm kind of, like, divided. But that still doesn't, like, di- like... Like, uh, doesn't also help us fix that fourth slot that we don't have filled yet. Right. <laughs> so we need to probably decide that first. It's like, out of all of those, there's one that needs to be put in a slot. <clears throat> Alright, so we're basically unlocked between Game of Thrones and 30 for 30. Yeah. Alright, slot number three. Of Veep, Last Week Tonight, Silicon Valley, and Homeland. Uh, honestly, what show is the most 2010 show? I mean, the most 2010 show is Silicon Valley, but I don't think that's what we're doing here. Okay. I don't think Silicon Valley hangs on a quality level to hang out here, especially not over Veep. Because if you're choosing between the two of those, Veep wins every time. Okay. So I think we can safely eliminate Silicon, Silicon Valley. Valley from the conversation. Okay. So that, I guess, leaves us with... The Veep. Last Week Tonight as Homeland, Homeland, and which one of those does not hang? I mean, I'd like to have Homeland on this list just because <clears throat> it would like lessen the HBO bias. monopoly. But that being said, maybe the HBO bias is the right thing to do here, considering that HBO in the 2010s was synonymous with prestige premium cable television. Okay, well, let's put it this way. Between Veep and Homeland, both of them had great basically political shows mm-hmm. until they both hit the snag that was 2016 right. where reality <laughs> caught up with them and they yes. couldn't no longer write. Yeah, so it's tough. Cause so like between those two, mm-hmm. who had the better success? I mean, you could say that because Veep is a comedy, it maybe has an advantage here because comedy typically holds up better than drama does. And I think that maybe Homeland will be a little harder to go back to. A good footnote... But not necessarily. Yeah. It's gonna be the a product of its time a little more. Veep right. is gonna be silly, so that way it's going to even if it is a product of its time, it's going to be a little easier to return to. So I think that Veep maybe has an advantage over Homeland. Again, I just I just feel so bad about like just dominated by HBO. But I guess that's that's how it went in real life too. Yeah, it is. I mean, even we even saw the Emmys like be dominated by HBO year after year this decade. Right, I mean, we, while well, yes, Showtime did get its nominees constantly, but then again, so did FX and the Americans yeah. get constantly nominated, but never win. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? Did we forget? Wait, no. 
Did we forget? Never what? mind. I thought I had flashback. I thought we were still in the last the, the basic cable episode. It's uh, <laughs> like, wait, we forgot about these shows. I'm like, no, we actually already yeah. covered those shows. Yeah, That's why we're not talking shows. about them. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. Um, I think that maybe, yeah, in which the Americans also hit that problem of yeah. reality caught up right, to too ridiculous. I mean, I I guess I don't have too much of an issue with moving on with a three out of four of these are being HBO shows. Okay. So if we want to take out Homeland, I think that maybe that makes some sense because I would like to see V to move on. Okay. So yeah, maybe this is Game of Thrones, V, uh, Last Week Tonight, and Thirty for Thirty. I am good with those. Um, yeah, I mean, because Veep and Game of Thrones, awards winners. Yeah, they swept. The fuck out Same with Last Week Tonight, award winner in its own category. Yeah. And the 30 for 30, award winner in its documentary category. Right. But, again, we're not necessarily basing this off we're of prestige. We're not basing this on quality, but it's definitely a big component of it, yeah. of the conversation. So, yeah, I feel pretty good about this list. Right, and I think in terms of, like, impact... Yeah. Veep would be the only one of these that not necessarily has that impact, but... But I think it, it may not be as important, but, yeah, importance is the only thing. Right. And I think that the quality of the writing and the consistency and the strength of the cast, I think, puts it on this list. I think the strength of Julia Louis-Dreyfus... Yes, by itself. By itself. Yeah, is puts the show on the list, for yeah. sure. All right. I think we're good. I think we're okay. good for. All right, I think we're good with that then. So let's do an overall recap real quick before we move on to the end of the show here. Okay. So we've covered network TV, we've covered basic cable, and we've t- covered premium cable. So far, we have one section left, which will be streaming. So if you're wondering where Netflix is, we'll get there. But for now, um, our final fours in each of the uh, segments are, our final four in the network is Big Bang Theory. Uh, the Office. The Office. Modern Family. Modern Family. And This Is Us. And This Is Us. Our final four in basic cable is... Atlanta. Atlanta. Broad City. Broad City. Adventure Time. Adventure Time. And Breaking Bad. And Breaking Bad. And then this one... Uh, 30 for 30. 30, 30 Last Week Tonight. Tonight. Veep. Veep and... And Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. So... Oh. Man, eventually we're going to have to find a winner between all of those. <laughs> Wait, but we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Still There's still four more slots to be yeah, settled. So get ready. Strap in for our oh, final episode. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Oh, my God. Every year. What Try, are we talking about? Right, by the time we get to like, wait, we have to pick one thing out of all We have to figure these? out what the Tetris is in television. <laughs> Do you think we can figure out what the Tetris is in television? Clear a line or something? Clear <laughs> <laughs> these lines. Yeah, uh, Tetraminos. So yeah. Join us next time for our, fi- our final part of this section of the March Madness bracket where we get our uh, last four from the streaming network. So that will include Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, even YouTube shows that we deem uh, qual- like that qualify. Um, all of that will be discussed next time. Um, so thank you for joining us in this episode. We'll uh, be back with that next one before we pick our shows that move, move on to the semifinal round. Yes, thank you all for tuning in. Um, you can listen to you know, any of those past shows. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, anytime. Anytime. Make sure look at our uh, archive. If not, wait until next week. But yeah, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be back next time. Yeah, we'll be back next week with even more content on streaming. It will but... still be March and we will still be mad. But if you're in the future and it's already up, Uh you can listen to it right now. Right now. Bye. Bye.